Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DUConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. Episode 138 with Bryce. Hey, guys. How hey, are she's, you? She's here. Oh, so excited. We're know, good. I think it's still appropriate to, to play the theme song of the time. Uh, it's just continuing. In fact, pre-story story time. It's interesting, as we saw how COVID impacted different markets at different timings in terms of things shutting down and slowing down and... Um, everyone had a some period of pause. It's also interesting to see how, uh, by this point, I'm pretty confident in saying 100% of the builders we work with are at least seeing the beginning trails of excessive amounts of demand. Uh, e- even people in economies like California, where it's it's always been healthy, but things are are alive at levels that that is making them concerned about. Uh, gapping in terms of home site availability and um, all the rest. And that's what real quick just feels completely different. If you were around in 2006 and 2007, you're like, we had a great market then too. Yeah. But that was in very specific places like Phoenix and Vegas and California and, and other markets around the country. It was not again in places like Louisiana and Ohio, where you had the same phenomenon that's now happening in every market everywhere in the country. So it's like black Friday everywhere, every day. Ooh, I and like when's that it go, when's it going to end? It's, yeah. <laughs> Black Friday pre-COVID the, when you were... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The craziness. We'd like, when's normal, not end as in like, when are we going to have like uh, this big decline, but just when is it not going to be crazy? Like the um, the Facebook Live that was earlier today, I'm like, there's a lot of people listening right now. Like, I don't mean that self-promo, but like people are looking for answers or looking for help or looking for how do we do this thing and not go mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. For it was, sure. It's good. All right, well, let's let's get right into real story time Ooh. with uh, Bryce. Why don't you get us kicked off? So as you guys both know, like I'm in the process of buying my very first home. So it's just the market's insane, even on the resale aspect of things. And it got me thinking as to why exactly everybody is looking for a new home and why that is on top of everybody's list. Um, just because the houses I'm even looking in are an 89, like, and for me, I'm concerned about the warranty aspect and how that makes new homes look so appealing. And don't get me started on the layouts at all. I walked into a house the other day and there was a toilet inside of the shower, like where the shower doors are so the efficient. behind of it. It was insane. And yeah, then the other, very European. Yeah, it was so crazy. And then the other one was, I walked into the bedroom and there was a spiral staircase that took you upstairs to the closet. But that's it. That was all that was up there. And it's just from the bedroom. From the bedroom. <laughs> so, so it's just so eye opening. Like I stare at beautiful homes all day long when we're doing everything. And then I go into these and I'm like, womp, womp, womp. Like I just, <laughs> you know what I mean? That was, that so. was me two years ago. I was like, <laughs> I want a home office. <laughs> and finding down where I'm at, you either have pretty much new, new homes or homes that are 40, 50 years old is when everything seems to be built. And there's, there's no, offices it was just four yeah. bedrooms and like oh that's a corner space for an office like no i need i need to be able to close the door yeah, yeah it's it's hard and that's why i ultimately went new because because of the floor plan mm-hmm. not because of the location we went we actually traded down in location be, to get the new home with the floor plan that worked uh with our life better yeah. are you having any luck or are you like this is the most frustrating thing in the world the market is just crazy on both aspects and it's just by the time I send anything to a realtor, it's like there's three contracts on it. So it's on both sides, like it's on resale and the construction. So 
Um, it's neat to see it on both sides, but it's also very frustrating because I know what it's like in the new constructions. And so I'm like, I just wish I could do something else to help it. But anyway, long story short, that's that's how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's worth repeating again that if you haven't been through a used home in a while or your sales team hasn't, it just it's a, it's it. something you have to it's like when our family goes to Guatemala, the reason we go yearly is is for many reasons, but one of the plus sides from a selfish perspective is getting your kids to go to a third world country every year resets them internally every year. <laughs> your sales team mm -hmm. kind of needs that same reset of like, yeah. oh, oh yeah, they're popcorn ceilings still exist. Oh, for yeah. sure. In every room and everywhere. And most people buy existing, but I always think of Quint Lears and he's like, how much would you pay for 30 year old carpet, 20 year old carpet? Like what's, what would you pay for that? Where he has his, his he's training or he's talking about how he sells a new home and he breaks it down by piece by piece by piece. And I'm like, Oh, you really make me want a new home. But like, <laughs> like where I'm at, and I think Bryce, where you're at similar, like there's, there are new homes, but you might, there actually might be more existing homes available mm -hmm. depending sure. on exactly what city you're looking in. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the incremental cost on, on new, yes, you do have to wait. And yes, our new home will be expensive, but the incremental cost to, I, I, we have our low voltage wiring meeting this week. Fine. The house is in framing now, which is also exciting, Ooh, but we'll meet them at a showroom to go through it. And to be able to have a conversation about, well, what if we did fiber optic networking inside the home? Oh, that'd only be, you know, $1,500 more than regular. Like, okay, yes. Whereas Done. to retrofit yeah. that into an oh. old home, it's just mm -hmm. so. Not possible. Yeah. yeah. There's so many scary things that come with, along with it. There's a house I was looking at the other day and just, I can't recall the type of plumbing it was on it, but just the plumbing themselves, like the, they're like, this plumbing all needs to be replaced because it's all like inefficient at this well, point. You I'm like, like heavy metals cool. coming into your body yeah. on a daily basis from your water, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, it's just so eye-opening. It's just, just so eye-opening. Just eat but, more avocados yeah. and kale. It'll all take care yeah, of it. Yeah. There you go. There you you go. Could, <laughs> yeah. It makes you want to buy like a fifth wheel or something and just travel around the country in this brand new yes. house on wheels. Maybe not, <laughs> <beautiful>. but <laughs> that is an option. That's funny. Andrew, how about you? My story will be just a shameless plug for the Facebook iOS 14 post I, I put up, or I, rather I updated with the step-by-step -step instructions. There's like 20-something screenshots in there. So if you're listening and you have not made any adjustments for the upcoming Facebook, Apple, iOS 14 data privacy, like I'm sure you've seen the headlines, like what's going to happen, what's going to happen. The blog post, I think it's like a few pages back if we're on the blog section of the site. Yep. You'll find it. There is step-by-step -step instructions that you should be able to just follow along. Click, I guess the most important point here is this sounds like a very scary, difficult it's not thing. It's scary. And it, it, it's not when you look at the screenshots and you're like, oh, that's it. I mean, that's part of, I think, why so many people were screaming about this, not just in our industry, every industry, if you follow marketing-related content, is it's something to talk about. It's like a, an impetus to uh, to get moving. And it is important to do it, but it, you know, the right person with the right access could get this done in like 15 minutes. minutes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if they know what they're doing, three minutes. Three minutes, for sure. It might take you 15 minutes. It's three or, simple. Or half hour. It's yeah. three little mini tasks within that one project. I think for me to get the screenshots took me 20 minutes. And right. that was. <laughs> I think, I think what I'm referencing is, is on sometimes <laughs> yeah. on our calls, and, and we don't do a good job of setting 
expectations, meaning we don't, we're just not built to make things appear harder than they are. So yeah, we're like, okay, we're going to take care of this. And everyone's like, oh, is this going to take our whole hour? And then, you know, eight minutes later, click, we're click, like, click. okay, that's it. And we're like, oh, oh, we're, we're, what okay. else do we have to talk about? And that's all I, <laughs> that's all I thought of today. That's, so yeah, that's so it. check it out. Ask questions. If any questions, there might be, I'm hoping the questions are not, but I also hope they are. Like mine looks completely different. My Facebook ad manager. That would not be surprising either. Not surprising whatsoever, (laughs) but hopefully it's, it's mostly what my screenshot showed. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm nervous putting the screenshots up in a week. This is unchanged, but that's the hardest part with this is Facebook does not have a step-by-step like this. I have no idea why they like to make it complicated, but here's the step. If nothing else, you know, the, everyone's making the phone call rounds again, both Facebook and Google about, Hey, we've noticed inefficiencies in your account. That's just, it's just someone trying to sell you. It's just someone trying to get on and say like, how hilarious is that a Google rep calling you or emailing you and saying, I've noticed inefficiencies in your account. And then if you did take that call, it'd be like, well, I noticed you were used to spend about 50% more every month. And yeah. don't you want to bid on these things? No, we don't have any left. Oh, no, no. okay. Oh. What about anything but, else? Do you need but, to build yeah. brand awareness? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, this is a sales pitch, isn't it? Hmm. Yes, indeed. Yeah, they're sneaky. All right. My story time is just referencing a little post that I put out into the world uh, two days ago. And it's always funny. You know, the things that you put almost no time into thinking about are the things that sometimes people respond to. So. Yeah, I had, mm-hmm. as is usual, I'm looking at the at the clock and I'm like, okay, I've got to get on a call with someone in nine minutes. But this thing just kind of hit me of there's a pattern uh, in, in one particular excuse in particular that kind of drives me nuts. And so I threw out this post. I'll just read it real quick because it's entertaining, at least to <laughs> me. Seems to have been entertaining to all of you too. So this okay. is, these are things that people in home building, sometimes people that I've worked for, and sometimes I'm work, people I'm working with, many of whom have been on this podcast actually as guests have said one form of these things to me or another. <laughs> In 2003, when I was at my very first builder, and I mean, this is still early. This is when I printed out directions on MapQuest to get to a meeting Map in Quest. downtown Columbus, right? So this is a while ago, uh, but we can't put our information on the internet. No one will come see us anymore if they have all that information. And besides... How are you going to keep all that stuff online current? Like it's never going to be up, up to date. And then we're just going to be disappointing customers and no one's going to come see us. Traffic's going to fall through the floor. In 2005, we can't put base pricing online. Like pricing? No one will come see us. Sure, you can put some pictures, maybe an address of the model home, but make sure it's just the outside yeah. picture of the model home because we want people to come. And if you can tell them pricing, well, it's just going to be so expensive, they're never going to want to stop out and see anything. 2010, interactive floor plans started taking off. And so it was interactive floor plans. Why would people need to come see us? That's, again, another common objection to all these changes that we're trying to make is no one's (laughs) going to come see us anymore. If they can see all of the structural options, you already gave away the pricing, but we could always say, well, there's so many options and things you need to consider that you're going to have to come in and we're going to have to look at it together. So now no one's going to come out. Um, And by the way, that's just something else you're going to have to keep updated, which that's just part of marketing. 2012. Using representative photos on on throughout the site instead of just renderings, well, we'll get sued every other day for being deceptive if we show a picture of a home <laughs> as a representative image. And besides, if we do the renderings, nothing have to, has to change. We don't have to worry about snow and leaves and grass and all that stuff. And besides the way, 
that like that's it's more update. It's it's kind of a hassle. 2015, it was about the volume of photos that was nece necessary. At the time, it was 15 plus unique photos of every completed inventory home. And again, this is where people that you know and love have said something like this to me. That's impossible and it can't be managed. Like, do you know how many homes we build? We build hundreds of inventory homes in one market in a year. That's insanity. We'd never be able to keep up with that. They, they do now. 2021, <laughs> updating estimated delivery dates, start times, or appointment availability live on the website. Are you nuts? That would be too hard to keep current. And besides, if people realize the actual timeframes involved in this, no one would ever sign up. They would stop coming out to see us. Again, the two common things here are no one's going to come and see us. We're going to scare everyone away and they're going to totally be okay with the popcorn ceilings. Thank you for the intro story, Bryce. <laughs> and, and, and the yeah. seven foot tall uh, bonus room that got added on by Jimmy's renovations in 1982 to the, yeah. to the home, right? They're going to forget all that because your website says that uh, homes are currently slated to be delivered in Q two or the, the first half of 2022 or that appointment wait times are, are, are currently what they are. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting about this is not just the response, which was, which was fun. I think it, it hit a nerve of a lot of people who try to get organizational change done, but some of the different unique objections, some of which people were scared to put out into the world publicly. <laughs> and they just kind of messaged me like, you really mean this? And, <laughs> and then some, yes, some things where I don't think people understand that technology, again, is not always our answer or automated technology, I guess I should say, is not always the answer. Being transparent. I think that's kind of like everybody like transparency. Everybody likes to see it. Um, even from a consumer to the salesperson, it helps them on both sides of things. So I think the more transparent you are, the better everybody's going to be. And there's all different levels of transparency. There is just mm -hmm. like glass. There's fully transparent glass, semi-transparent, translucent, shaded. Yep. There, there's different levels to all this. And one of the people who objected was like, well, technically that's easy, which a lot of builders would disagree with them. But that's, they correctly pointed out it's because they're not necessarily using the right systems. But hey, I could turn that on in our system right now. But it wouldn't be accurate. And that would set false expectations that then the sales team has to deal with. My question is, is the sales yeah. team not involved in the sales process because I think they're setting some type of expectation somewhere. Exactly. And that's where the automated technology can actually be a challenge. Automating mm -hmm. that if your system isn't completely accurate, well, that's a recipe for disaster. And also if it's not accurate for your internal team, like what is the process? Like, <laughs> yes, we know there's a problem in forecasting, but I keep coming back to Chick-fil-A where Chick-fil-A has solved their drive-through challenges by one, adding in a whole lot more people who are working in the drive-through area, mm -hmm. and then two, giving them 2012 era technology in the form of an iPad. Yep. Yep. Problem solved. So it's a minimal amount of technology, i.e. the system can tell you when it thinks it's going to be done because of updated completion dates. But then what if we just had a human who was intimately involved and aware by community or by market that we tend to be missing these dates. Now I understand internally you don't want to keep pushing back dates on a project or a home because then everyone kind of gives throws their hands up well it's you know we can just keep pushing it back just keep pushing it back. So management has to kind of play a game there, right? Of no you can't change the dates. No you are going to miss your bonus if you don't hit that closing date. There there's lots For of conversations sure. that are going on. 
But this, if you have another human being who can help in this process and push a couple extra buttons, we can add the, what we know of the human element and set expectations. And again, this is, as my other thought is, this is your first line of defense. It's your expectation setting round one. It's not your last line of defense. It's not being automatically added to the contract. You can have all types of other language around there. They're still going to have to eventually talk to a sales rep who's going to tell them something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's not OSC, that's, it's going to be a rep. Regardless. That's what I go to. Yeah. Like someone is going to say something at some point. It's not, like this conversation is going to happen anyway. It's like, why, why not at least have some opportunity to frame it in a positive direction versus like, you never know what mood the sales rep is in, what the other person's in. 100%. It could be this very hostile, negative conversation versus like, Hey, yep. this is the estimated completion times for this community. Here's why I learned more about X, Y, Z. And then you could educate the consumer, which I'm sure if they see like, Oh, this is Q2 2022. I, that's weird. Is it just this builder? They'll look at it and then the, the blog post or pop up or whatever. Maybe will be like, mm-hmm. this is a industry thing. This isn't yep. just. It keeps coming back to one of marketing's many roles is to be the safety net for the high flying trapeze act above. Mm-hmm. And so you're just setting an initial expectation, but to your point, someone's having it anyway. Number one, number two, this is an expectation point that you can actually measure in almost real time. So, oh my gosh, uh, we gave ourselves too much cushion on these dates. And again, the dates could be on the related to the front end or the back end of the process. I don't really care. But, oh my gosh, we gave a, a four-month cushion and yes, leads did drop way off. Guess what you can do tomorrow? You can change it to a three-month cushion and then a two-month cushion. And, but you can't, again, if the whole system is completely automated. And that's where people don't understand the importance of you need more people on your team. Amazon, Chick-fil-A, all of them are hiring huge amounts of human beings to use their brains while also simultaneously building long-term systems to make things more efficient over time. But we often put the cart before the horse in our industry. Yep. And I think this is, depending on how you set that up, I think this is where you would, you could use event tracking or goal tracking, whatever it would be to somehow measure how often is this messaging being viewed? Like if you did had, like, let's say I'm just picturing like a community page and it's like, uh, learn more. And there's like a box that's like a special box just for this that maybe has like an outline or some way where people definitely see it. And then it, I think I like the pop up because then they don't have to leave that page to go to somewhere else. Or just some way to expand the text, measuring that click and be mm-hmm. like, look, we had 5,000 views on this community page and we had 2,000 event, events fire for that pop-up or expand view. Mm-hmm. And just see like, are people actually reading this? You might, it could go either way. Like no one looks at it and you're like, oh, interesting. <laughs> Made this big deal out of this whole thing. We had all this countless conversations about it and no one's looking at the thing. Or you go, yeah. wow, everyone's reading this and looking at it. Let's take advantage of this and maybe expand this even further and, and more for detail. Sure. Yep. Just get more people first. Yep. People before robots, then the robots sure. can take over later. All right, moving on to the news. We got some good ones today. I know. Uh, this one is a fun just, just hit the wire a couple hours before we recorded. Um, first from CNN.com. Let me pull up that article. It's real if it's on CNN. Right. I don't mean that in any like fake news way, but I just mean it's That's not like funny. Gizmodo or like right. a tech site. Like it's like 
out there for the the mainstream media. And again, we would highly recommend that you're you're part of Inman because they have uh, another article. But for the show notes, we wanted to find something that wasn't behind a paywall. So um, from CNN.com, dated Thursday, February 25th, Zillow will now make cash offers for homes based on its Zestimates in 20 different markets. So uh, it was about a year, maybe two years ago, that we played some sound clips from an interview with Spencer and um, Rich Barton, I believe at different points in time, where, um, and and the chief um, data officer, I think is his name, of Zillow also posted like, 15 awesome years ago, title. this was part of the original plan, which that's a whole nother yeah. strategic business conversation about you can't always tell people where you're going until you're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but this is part of their plan from the beginning was to make this estimate a standing offer on as many homes as possible. And as of today, in 20 different housing markets around the country, many of the homes in those markets, if you just pulled up your own home to see what how much it was worth in the latest estimate, you would now have an option to get an initial offer from Zillow for that amount. Now, remember, there are multiple parts to the Zillow. And I um, I don't proclaim to, to be a front-to-end expert on this, but when you sell to an iBuyer, there is the fee that they're, the amount that they're paying you for the home mm-hmm. minus a fee. So the fee enca- encapsulates what repairs they feel like will be necessary to make the home saleable for that amount. It also reduces it by the commission expense that they anticipate having to pay. So that initial offer, I think, Andrew, you're the first one to be like, that's super sneaky. It's, it's a little bit like CarMax, right? It's probably yeah. what you're going to take home from the transaction, yeah. but it's the initial offer. I see it as, and this is a really bad analogy, but like the people, the signs on the side of the road that says we pay cash for ugly houses. Mm -hmm. That is literally what I envision on this whole entire idea. Um, (laughs) That's that's funny. If if people at Zillow are upset with me these days, which I don't know that they are, but if they were, (laughs) they're really going to love you for the correlation to ugly houses. (laughs) But but I think think that's perfect you said that because I think the average consumer could feel that way and might feel that way. Like, oh, is this the same as the people? They might not know it. They just see people like they don't realize that that those are people looking for distressed buyers, et cetera, et cetera. They're on a low ball because they just, they want the home for as low as they could get versus mm-hmm. Zillow is trying to make it legitimate. Like CarMax, if you sell a yeah. part of CarMax, you're like, you actually right. get a fair price. Well, but most people might not feel that way or even think that Zillow is going to operate that way. I'm sure they've had conversations about that, but I'm waiting for it to pop up on mine. But if the Zestimate, so we refinanced and the Zestimate currently when we refinance, it's just, it's like 2% over what our appraisal was for the refi. So I'm like, oh, that'd be interesting. Like, oh, mm-hmm. like it's, I mean, I the appraisal's the appraisal until it sells. That's what it sells for versus the Zestimate. Yeah. But it seems quite int- accurate. For sure. I think it's super interesting that they are launching this in the hottest market that we've seen in decades. Um, and I'm curious on how this is going to affect when the market cools down at all. Yeah, well, I think to that point, some, I think it was in the Inman article. I'm going to try to pull it up real quick. There's a quote from someone who said, you know, originally we wanted to be the place that, that when people thought about selling their house, they thought Zillow. Mm-hmm. But then they said, you know, here it is from Jeremy Waxman, um, Zillow's chief operating officer. Nobody wants to think about selling. Most sellers are thinking about buying. They want to be thinking about buying, but at the same point they have to think about, oh my gosh, I have to go through this entire process. 
And that's <laughs> what I think the genius is, is everyone's focused on the thing they want, the future promise, to use a, a Jeff Shore 4.2. They're, they're not as focused on the current dissatisfaction at the front of their mind or certainly about having to sell their current dissatisfaction. That's not the exciting part. The exciting part is the future promise. And mm -hmm. that's that's the real big thing through all this. Yes, Zillow will buy more homes likely because of this functionality. The bigger thing is they will get initial leads that they can pass on to real estate partners, home builders, et cetera. They'll have more overall um, information about people who are seriously in the market. And um, I think they also mentioned somewhere that that by people even clicking that button, it will start to serve as a data point that will validate Zestimate levels. So they might not accept the offer, but if they look at that and say, yeah, Thanks I would value. sell my home for that, then all of a sudden it's another data point that they can use to make the overall Zestimate even more accurate. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Zillow, no shortage of innovation and, uh, and trying new things. Uh, we actually have more. We'll talk about Zillow's new construction consumer housing trends report in 2020, probably a little bit on our next episode because Jackie did some digging in and found the really cool parts, but we will have a link to that in the show notes. You should check it out. Lots of good data points in there. And then one of my favorites, Allie Wolf from Zonda has, is an amazing person all around, even though she keeps dodging our request to come on the podcast. I'm trying to call you out. Are Allie, you listening? Come on, let's get, I know, I know you're busy. Um, <laughs> Great person to follow on Twitter because she drops out uh, little little interesting insights. And, and one of them was that um, builders capping sales are becoming even more commonplace. This is going to make the state of the new home market a lot harder to read in the coming months ahead as total sales in some markets post a year-over-year -year drop, especially in May, June, and July. So builders are constricting their sales volume. And in fact, at this point, according to the data that she shared from Zonda, only 30% of companies are not restricting sales in some fashion. Only 30%. So the vast majority. Now, it breaks out all different ways that they're doing it in this in this as well, which is why you need to check out her her Twitter um, Twitter thing in the show notes. But 70% are restricting sales in some form or fashion. That's It'd be interesting if if they provided the raw data on this. I don't think I don't know if they do that or not, but like I think I'm about sure builders. they would if you paid them enough. Yeah. There we go. Um, I have a small budget for that, Zonda. Um, but just think, I think about some builders that are around here that I, that are small, they build in like two zip codes, like, like we're at, like they aren't restricting sales, but they build enough where they could be included in the survey, but they, I mean, they essentially do, it's like this in between, they don't build to order, but it's, they got like 10 houses here and they get them all going at one time and you get to pick a little bit of options. Mm -hmm. If you just end up buying those, they're not capping sales at all, but they might be included in data. So imagine within the top 100 builders, what percent would it be? Is it 90 are capping sales per month? Well, um, I, yeah. I, I got to be really careful how I say this, but what I feel like saying, although it's not entirely accurate, <laughs> so <laughs> this is where a smarter person just wouldn't say it, is that yeah. the smarter the builder, the more likely they are constricting sales in some form or fashion. Yeah. It is. Sense. It is a lack of leadership. Some of the companies I've worked for in my past would say, this is why leaders get paid to lead and to make hard decisions, but not having a business plan and just saying, whatever the market lets me have, well, that's, that's what it is. And uh, kind of, you know, builders who overly rely on lotteries. I'm not talking about um, some of my favorite people who I know are running lotteries in small numbers, but lotteries where they're not even showing a price. It's just, here's a home. 
you have to bid at least this much. Now, whoever bids the highest wins as like a standard sales practice. You, you are you are abdicating all responsibility of your end to know how much your homes are worth. It's like whatever they yeah. tell us, like you're actually saying, we have no idea what our homes are worth. So you tell us. I don't sure. I don't know that that makes you it just feels kind amazing of division president kind of material. <laughs> I know that's harsh, but that that's why you're that's why you're the leader of the organization is you need to be able to determine Wait. that from the marketplace. And For like sure. everything else, another another kind of sidebar conversation, which could have been story time, I guess, is like real estate co-op percentage. I'm going to throw this out there. What do you guys think would be a good realtor co-op percentage? It is a trick question. Percent. So what percent of your sales should come from realtors? I feel like it depends on the market, but. For what, sure. What, and the region and the area too. This is, yeah, it's a good Jeopardy question. What is a good percent? Is there a good percent? I don't think there's a good percent. That's my answer. There is not a good percent. Man, your your time embedded with Steve Shoemaker at Ideal Homes has paid off because yes. you're absolutely correct. There Thank is you, Steve. no Thank you, Steve. I need there a new is cutting no board. Best practice yep. benchmark for realtor co-op percentage. There just isn't. And here's why. And this is why I, I put so much, especially in great markets, on the on the shoulders of the division presidents, the CEOs, the COOs, is that is a budgetary practice. How much do you want to pay in outside realtor commissions a year is part of the budgeting process. What percentage of every home you sell will you not get to take home in profit because you're paying a real estate agent? Some companies mm -hmm. are making this would traditionally make the strategic decision. We are okay giving more in outside commissions in exchange mm -hmm. for a faster sales pace. That's a that's something you plan for. It's a goal you create. So to just yeah. say, well, I don't know, the builder across the street, they have 60% and we have 30. Who's right and who's wrong? You, there is no right or wrong. It's make a decision, have a business plan. And what works for you. And I feel like it'd yeah. still be community per community or or more maybe like price point with community being and like layered in there. Yeah, um, and I also feel like it also depends on the buyer. Like for me as a new, like new home buyer, like I need a real estate agent and I couldn't imagine walking into a community and them having a builder representative and me having to feel like I'm doing it on my own, even though they, they are, they're there to support me. I, I think it, it all depends on the buyer as well. You might have this instinctual, like, I feel like I'm not supposed to trust you. I don't yeah. know. I just feel like I'm not supposed to <laughs> makes no sense, but I feel like I'm not supposed to. Again, there's not a, there's not a right or a wrong. And it's not even about the, there are builders who, I mean, I worked for one when I first got in the business, Miranda, mm -hmm. no realtors allowed. We, we paid $0 intentionally in Columbus, Ohio. You have a realtor. Wow. That's nice. Wave goodbye to them because we're not paying them unless you <laughs> want to pay them directly. So that's a strategic decision. That builders cooperate in central Ohio, 2003 to 2007, 0%. How would they... I'm sure some listeners are like, how do you argue that with realtors? Would you, would you, cause you have to convince the buyer, like you don't have a realtor to buy a car. We're, we're building a oh, home. No, we, there was no, there, like, was the conversation like, went like, just was, like this. No, we just we're not do doing that. it. That's nice. <laughs> okay. If That's you want to pay them and, and some realtors would go after it. My, my point again is not that That's that is right or wrong. That was yeah. a business decision they made. Yeah. I'm not talking about my personal feelings. I think it was an incorrect one because it alienated people that didn't need to be alienated. And then in the housing downturn, I imagine they have since adjusted their philosophy towards realtors to some extent. 
But that was a business decision. Someone could have all those things you said of, of a higher price point, need more help, whatever. But if the company doesn't want to pay it, they don't have to. It's, it, so that, that's my point is whether it's realtor co-op rate or, um, or the price point that you're going to market with or the way you're going to market with. I think more than anything that people are responding to in the Facebook Live and other, other places we've talked about this in, uh, in our Clubhouse talk, et cetera, is that everyone's craving leadership from the top right now. And the best leaders are providing that clarity. Mm-hmm. One last thing on the on the whole sales waitlist thing is a lot of people ha- have been concerned about consumer pushback or people getting feisty. Listen, some people are going to get feisty no matter what. But mm-hmm. Bryce, what is your favorite sport to play or watch? Ooh, um, I love watching football, but my favorite sport to do is snowboard. Which is that considered right. a sport? But uh, yeah. yeah, it's a sport. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think it's an it's Olympic a, sport. Yeah. I think, yeah, Winter Olympics. Yeah, it's a, it, yeah. But we're sure. not going to use we're not going to use snowboarding now because snowboard. that, that's harder. <laughs> you you know we could play a game of pickup football on a football field, and we wouldn't have to say, well, hold on, we got to get some refs over here, and who wants to pay them? And you're the lines judge, and you're the referee. We don't we don't need those people around because you and I can play a game of football. And be fair. And be fair. We all know the rules of the game. Yep. Where everyone's going to get frustrated and it's going to go down to just you punching me flat in the face is if I'm like, hey, Bryce, this is actually Calvin ball that we're playing. It looks a lot like football, but when my team has it, we get six downs. Okay. And I'm sorry we Mm -hmm. didn't tell you that at the beginning, but we just decided that we get six downs or we can, we can make it six downs to get 10 yards twice every game. You, you actually have only two downs. But I mean, that, that's when you, you should get mad at me. Mm-hmm. So as long as the rules of the game are stated clearly up front, i.e. you made a decision, a business decision, you I communicate like this, those clearly. This also back to, to the transparency that we mentioned prior. Yeah. It all comes full circle. <laughs> right. What, what are the rules of this game? We're not going to tell you. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't ask for like a guaranteed first in line to buy this home at this price. I just asked like, what is the process? We can't yep. tell you that. That's that's not a good way to do it. I think it's like taking your kids to Disney too. That this is the the dad example. There's the wait times for each ride. People are fine going to Disney and waiting in the lines because there's the wait time. If there's no mm-hmm. wait time, it does. I, I think it even does it say estimated. I don't know. I, I was there like a month ago. I can't remember. But I, everyone assumes it's estimated. So like, oh, Space Mountain, two hour wait. That's ridiculous. The line's still crazy and out the door because they want to wait. They want to do it. But if there was no wait time estimate, I think that's where people would be like, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. But they get in the line like, I have two hours to be in this stupid line. Doesn't Zappos still do this where they say like, you're going to get your shoes in two or three days and then almost always you get it tomorrow? Like you can still over promise or under promise and over deliver. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Fun chat. That was great. And uh, we come back, we're going to sit down with Russell Smith from Ernest, a company who you may not have heard of yet, but I have a feeling is going to be pretty important to how a lot of home builders do sales of all types and especially online sales in the future. We'll be right back.
And we're back this time sitting down with Russell Smith with Ernest, general manager of Ernest. Thanks so much for <laughs> sitting down with us today, Russell. It's happy you to be here, Kevin. Thank are continuing on our theme from 2020 of outsider insiders crossing like that over. That's my term for people from the used home side of the business. Yeah. Although you're really in both, but we met, I believe, not just through Twitter, but uh, through a mutual connection as well. One of my favorite people in the entire world, uh, Jeff Turner. High praise. Yeah, Jeff's womp, womp. And, and even when you reached out and said, hey, you know, Jeff and I are friends, I was like, I don't believe it. I, I just, <laughs> so many people are like, I know Jeff. And I asked Jeff, I go, this Russell guy, is he legit? He's like, oh man, he's one of my favorite people too. Like you really need to, oh. in, in the world of, of FinTech, PropTech, whichever uh -huh. tech we, we are in, you can never be too careful. So you come again, highly recommended. And you have a pedigree too, man. I mean, Trulia back in 2014. Yeah, I, I I know Kevin as a as a new as your newest subscriber to both Do You Convert and uh, Market Proof Marketing. Can I know you have a, a feature called Story Time? Yes. So my fun story time with Trulia. I was going to all of these NARPM conferences, the Association of Residential Property Managers, and I met the Trulia Rentals team, and we hit it off, and an opportunity arose, and I packed up my bags in Austin, Texas, and I moved to San Francisco to take a job at Trulia. It was me absolutely accelerating my technology career. And I was so excited. I was going to San Francisco and I was so excited to be working with the team. And, and all then, of five weeks and two days later, Daddy's my whole off. division got wiped out the day that the acquisition went through. But as life often tends to do, other doors opened. In addition to a very, very, very kind severance that was undeserved for my short uh, time <laughs> there, I followed my boss to Real Scout where I felt like I actually really got to cut my teeth and work with a really smart team. And better yet, I met a girl who asked to go out for a beer afterwards. Oh, wow. And, there we go. Uh, and she is working from her home office downstairs. I uh, married her a couple of years ago. That's right. Uh, and she still works at Zilla Group today. So, so uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we like to think of ourselves. Uh, she hates it when I say this. She, she doesn't like that. I jokingly <laughs> refer to us as a prop tech power couple, but uh <laughs> She, and what, what, what was the problem that Real Scout was solving for the world? So Real Scout and still today is really solving this making home search better and and beyond what the MLS offers today. And I'm I'm a huge lover of the MLS and what it does for you know regional agents and brokers. Um, I know you had Sam DeBoard on here before. Yeah. What's up, Sam? And Real Scout takes it the next step further to really add context to listings and make search feel more like how you know, how it should look and feel. And then beyond that, where they're really doing now is matching, going far beyond, you know, reverse prospect or, or anything like that to, to help connect buyers and sellers around properties uh, in a more, you know, web 2.0 fashion than just search for listings and, you know, and find buyers elsewhere. So yeah. And then House Canary, which mm -hmm. I have to be honest, I'm not certain exactly what House Canary was, except for it was something that I feel like I've I've seen a lot of articles. I mean, there's a flurry of activity around that product. So what what was yeah. that doing for the world? So House Canary is a leading, you know, House Canary is a lot of stuff, but it's a leading data and analytics provider to all sorts of industries, RPL and NPL lenders. So like people who hold large tranches of loans and mm -hmm. single family rental investors and mortgage banks and, and all of these different 
you know, people basically who are very smart and have a lot of money in real estate who you never hear about, but are bigger than any of the names and the Inman headlines Yeah, and help them make buy, sell, hold decisions. Think uh-huh. how they think about market to market, where to make investment, where to remove investment. And so I went there from Real Scout. I have worn every hat in inside of inside of real estate tech. I've been <laughs> product, product marketing, sales, you name it. And uh, and I took a product marketing job there, which turned into more of a partnerships role, which then en- actually ended up taking shape as a figuring out that we needed to become a residential brokerage to achieve our product and business goals. That's really, I think, where Jeff and I started crossing paths. That's what uh, I thought. That's why I heard the name so often. Yeah. Yeah, I actually poached one of his guys. I hired on as one of our brokers. And in about 14 months, we built out, a, with a pretty small team, a 50-state brokerage that ended up having more MLS coverage than Redfin in about 14 months. So it was a really exciting time, had a great team. But when when uh, when I saw the opportunity with Ernest, I was ready to move on. So, um, And Ernest, that's, that's I have to say, has the best name and logo Thank you. Of any place you've worked at yet, including Trulia. <laughs> no offense, ex-Trulia people. No. Someone did ask me if you're going to have an SEO challenge because it's Ernest with an extra N. So earn nest. But talk to us about what is what problem are we trying to solve? And then we'll kind of probably back up and look at it from a bigger perspective. But sure. So when I when I was looking for what I wanted to do next, I think this is a place where I can kind of at least tell my personal perspective. You know, I, was, I know this is the space for me. I'm going to spend my whole career in this, in this segment. And I thought, you know, more than I have capital to invest, I have my career to invest in businesses. And so, and I, and I, and I believe that I have a particular insight into what trends are going to, to come into play um, over the next five to 10 years. And so one of the ways I looked at where I wanted to go was what insights do I have from my career and also from my own home buying experience. I bought my first home a year ago. Um, here in Napa, California. And from my own home buying experience, you know, there's all these solutions out there, how to find the right agent and all this stuff, you know, they'll come knock on your door. I, I found that was not the hard part, <laughs> at least for me in particular. There were two things that jumped out to me from my own home buying experience. One of them is very unique to used homes, as you'd like to say. And that was, you know, you get your 50 page inspection report for a 40 year old house. I'm not a general contractor. Like where, what are the 30 things that, right. that, you know, that, are are just nothing. It's a trip to Home Depot. What mm-hmm. are the like 15 that you should get in a, a better look at? And what are the two or three that are like massive red flags? Mm-hmm. And that was, again, is kind of unique to, to existing homes, but a problem. Uh, but the second part was the actual, the payment side where, you know, the earnest money was a pain. I'm at work. We signed the contract. It's all exciting. And now I'm having to like find my agent in a busy day in San Francisco to give him a check. Seemed, seemed kind of ridiculous in this day and age. And then the actual, the other thing and where Ernest is moving, and I'd love to talk to some of this as well, is when the time actually came to send our life savings, go into the bank. The big check. uh, Oh my gosh. And the wire transfer. And the whole thing is like, they put the fear of God in you around. Mm -hmm. Wire fraud is real. Oh my God. And it's (laughs) rising. I mean, the the, the stats on that is crazy, Kevin. But the the actual wire transfer, they said, well, we're going to send you an email, but don't trust it. So there's going to be a phone number in there. You right. call that phone number to make sure it's the right email. I said, well, someone sent me a spam email. They're going to, they're not going to put your phone number yeah. in it. They're going to put theirs. Yeah. The whole same thing seemed ridiculous. My closing agent, I, I just recently closed on my refi and the agent's name was, I kid you not, like Xanadu or something. And so you get this email that looks legit. You call yeah. the number, but it says it's from Xanadu and you're like. Gmail doesn't believe it. Yeah. It I says, don't know. Fishing? 
know yeah, and, the, and then you get the wiring instructions and you finally believe them and you have to go to your physical bank, which I hadn't been to in years. I find a Wells Fargo branch. I go in and <laughs> I talk to a banker and I'm sitting down and I kid you not, he's like trying to just like chop it up with me about, oh, so you work down the street as he's like keying in the numbers. And I'm like, no man, two hands on the wheel. You focus on that, yeah. (laughs) You complete this, then I'll answer any questions you have. And I just remember thinking, walking away, being like, God, how is it still this bad? And so that was one insight that I used, archaic, yeah. I used to when I looked at what I wanted to solve next. And Ernest came across my bow. I saw a great team and a great product. I also saw, you know, I've... I live in still the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing I, I saw as, as kind of a downside in my last few companies is, you know, when you're trying to solve these problems for people around buying and selling homes and no one on your team owns a home because you live in San Francisco or New York City or wherever, mm-hmm. you're, it's, you're kind of disconnected from the real world. You don't have that like baked in empathy for your users. Yeah. And that was a huge plus to me that Ernest is based in Greenville, South Carolina. Literally in the last two weeks, Kevin, we've had two people at our company, not, you know, C-level executives, you know, one was our graphic designer and the other is a client success coach who bought their first or second homes and used Ernest to do it. In, in the last two weeks, we've had two of them. And like, that's, you never would hear of that in Mountain View or San Francisco. And, and that level of actual, like, you can't fake that level of user empathy. And so I saw that as a huge plus as well in joining Ernest. Okay. So in a big picture, and you say this on your site and on your LinkedIn profile, mm-hmm. the future of real estate payments. And that kind of sounds like you're trying to sell Bitcoin or GameStop <laughs> stock or something, right? Going on here. So let's right. let's back up before we go back into the specifics to kind of, you know, we talk about buy online and the and the big initiative that's going there. And certainly how to process payments is a big hurdle of the buy now, buy online virtual sales all of the all of the hype train that's that's here because of covid and and just generally where a lot of tech minded people want to go anyway um there there's that and then there's also just what you're describing which was buying an existing home kind of the natural flow of sales anyway and just the archaic nature of i mean goodness sakes without DocuSign, where would we be and this is essentially trying to say this, there's still this money part, which is not just archaic, but no one, I mean, it sounds like your, your lender gave you pretty clear instructions, but I'll back up to a, to a crazy story time. I'll never forget the first time I moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. And, and my boss just said, Hey, we're going to have a meeting downtown. And this was 2007. I had just bought my first GPS device. Cause I, you know, that way I don't get lost in downtown Pittsburgh and no one tells me or prepares me for what I'm about to go through. So I, I drive from the suburbs downtown. I think I'd been there before, but uh, I picked a parking parking place near where we needed to, to meet and take the ticket, start going down. It's getting very, very dark and there's no other traffic. It's midday though. So I'm thinking, you know, the rush hour traffic is gone. I go down about four or five levels and then all of a sudden... It looks like a scene from Independence Day where like the laser has just gone through and there's just cars are in all different directions parked randomly and there's nowhere else to go forward. There's all the cars are off. It's dark, silent. There's no one around. And what I realized is I apparently had just driven into a parking garage that was valet only or to some extent thereof. No. <laughs> and so I had to and there was nowhere to turn around. 
I had to go backwards because all these cars were, were piled in like sardines. I had to go backwards down those wonderful ramps that you, uh, and yeah. hope that another car didn't come and get the heck out of there. <laughs> and I'll, I just remember like th- I, that was a growing up experience for me of like your parents, no one ever, no one prepares you. You're just welcome to life. <laughs> and I, I feel like the closing process is like that. Sure. Just the, you know, like you, you're happy that your parents told you about the birds and the bees, but could you have explained what escrow and earnest and ACH and oh, what all this stuff means? Where's so, that class in high school? Yeah, it's, it's, and, and so for that, just some defining definitions. And again, these definitions sure. would apply. And I think it's, really important what you talked about with me quickly on the pre-show is this isn't just about if you want to click the buy it now button mm-hmm. on an inventory home on a builder's website. This is something that will make the process smoother and better. Whether that is a, it, it's a transaction, digital transaction conversation, not just a buy it now conversation. Anything else you want to add to that? Yeah. That well, there's, thought? there's, there's a, yeah, there's a few things there, you know, for one state to state, earnest money, how that works in the process is different. I mean, you mentioned Pittsburgh, great town, very underrated city. Um, <laughs> you pay two earnest money payments. You pay one at ratification and usually one like two weeks later or something like that. Some states it's to the attorney who's who's closing. Some states it's to the listing brokerage who holds their own earnest money. Some it's you know title and escrow. So that's been a challenge is building it that works for all of those workflows. Who would have and, thought something in real estate would be complicated? <laughs> Tell me about it. And, and that is something in general that I think has given Ernest a leg up is building our workflows to account for that and work to this relational element. I mean, Kevin, you mentioned DocuSign. I think in decoupling, you know, listen, if any builder out there wants to add a buy it now to their website, you know, we work with uh, CBH Homes today on their Ernest money. I, I know you've talked to awesome. probably yeah, before. Those guys. They're great. But, you know, if someone wants to add buy it now, awesome. Talk to us. We can help you. But if you don't, if you're not ready for that, and I understand why, you know, a lot of this is just moving to the digital experience and helping your team and efficiency. I mean, something we've really latched onto is that there's this, you know, there's and all builders are different, but there's their online team and their sales team and their, you know, admin controller team. And there's all of these payments from, you know, if, if you're someone who takes reservation deposits, you're probably not, you know, maybe it's the earnest money at ratification. Maybe there's yep. Selection design studio, payment. selection yeah, appointment. Design payments, change orders, all the way through to cash to close. And that's a lot of money changing hands. And so there's this constant, hey, did so-and-so get their check-in yet? I don't know. Let me ask the, you know, and there's all and 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 what DocuSign did the same thing with e-signature was that you're not saying, oh, is that contract signed yet? I don't know. Let me go and find out. <laughs> right. You know, people can view it. People know as soon as these things have happened. And that's yeah. what Ernest does as well for payments, is that everyone can be in the loop, that relational element in real estate, everyone's in the loop around, you know, when I went and sent off that wire, I called my agent and said, okay, the money's on the way. And he calls someone else and they call someone else. And all of them, they're not getting like instant notifications of, okay, the payment's been initiated, Mm -hmm. it's settled, et cetera. And I think that's a really critical thing that we're solving to, again, power this digital experience for this, these closings, even for, you know, offline sales, we're we're stopping from people having to mail checks and and you know get them in hand even if you're not doing the buy it now. But again, if you want to do that, we're we're open to that too. So let's let's define a couple things. Very basic, mm-hmm. but earnest money mm-hmm. is that any type of money that is being given prior to close occurring? So you know, I again I think some of this differs by state. Sure. Um a lot of it is just the money, you know, in some states they have in North Carolina, I just learned there's earnest money and then there's a due diligence payment, which just goes from buyer to seller directly 
as like a, you know, I have money and I mean it kind of a, a payment. <laughs> so I think it's, it's a little different everywhere. It's normally the payment that is made immediately upon execution of a sales contract and that then the, the, the seller can hold on to as something in case, you know, the buyer backs out at any given time for, for whatever reason that's not in the contract, the seller, because now you're going back on market, the seller is now worse right. off, right? You know, we t- I know you talked to Sam DeBoard around like days on market on the MLS. Yep. It's back on market, you're in a weaker position as a seller generally. So it's something that they can kind of hold on to, to, to make them whole theoretically. And it is different than taking a $99 reservation mm-hmm. or place in line. I think that's exactly. also important is that, you know, it, once you start actually signing a contract in connection to this payment, there's a whole different level, like you said, of you can't just add a button, run 99 bucks through Stripe and say the contract is is done and not account totally. for it properly and and keep it organized. And this is actually a huge point of education for folks, Kevin, is this, this idea around good funds. Mm-hmm. So earnest money is escrow funds in the same way cash to close would be what have you. And and while you know we can definitely make efficiencies in these reservation deposits and design center payments that are non-escrow funds, not you know if people would say, well, why don't we? Why wouldn't you just use PayPal? Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> PayPal's great. I love PayPal, but it doesn't meet this good funds requirement that, at a basic level, is really twofold. One, that the money from initiation gets there in a certain, it's expedited enough to get there in a short amount of time. And two, that it doesn't allow for a pullback from the buyer, which standard ACH, uh, Ernest today runs entirely on the ACH network, but we have a proprietary method that actually blocks pullbacks from the payer. That's where normal ACH, ACH solutions don't meet right. this good funds So, so let, let's define that real quick, and then we'll come <laughs> back to what makes you guys different. Okay. Wire transfers, cashier's check, good funds. Good funds. Mm-hmm. ACH, which is typically how I say digital check. I don't even know what ACH stands for. That's a good a, way to put it. Clearinghouse. It's, yeah, it's used, yeah. yeah. And so typically ACH does not qualify. So that's why you can't just go log into your bank, add your closing agent as a payee, mm-hmm. type in 80 grand and say funds are there for closing, right? So that's it's right. a wire transfer process, which is archaic and scary. Mm-hmm. And the cashier's check, which is also hope you don't get, you know, mugged on the way to closing or or lose that check or exactly. So ACH typically would not qualify, but you guys are doing some fintech magic on your end and making That's ACH right. be able to be good funds. That's right. And we do it a number of ways. You know, one thing you said about wire transfers, Kevin, my, my mom always says your best quality is your worst quality. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a, a very true statement I've learned in life and wire transfers, their best qualities, their worst quality is that people hate them because once it's gone, you can't get your money back, but that's actually what makes them, you know, good funds compliant. Uh-huh. is once the money settles, it can't be pulled back later in the deal. So yeah, so we use a couple of ways in which we have this kind of proprietary method that gets the funds there expeditiously and doesn't allow the pair to pull them back. So so that is kind of the earnest difference in that sense. Yeah. And one of the things that's also interesting is someone might say, well, great, then I'll, I'll look at a solution like what, what, what Russell's company offers. When we get to closing and that big number is necessary, but Mm -hmm. why do I need someone like Russell to help me through this process earlier? And I think part of it seems to make sense that once, once the setup is done on the front end as part, like the most exciting part, maybe the second most exciting part is when you sign the contract on a new home Mm -hmm. and you're going to build it. The most exciting part is when you go to close, but 
that initial excitement and energy that's there, you're signing a ton of stuff. You're getting a ton of things set up, but there's not the stress of, oh my gosh, we still have paint touch-ups to do, or that door was installed a little crooked and the moving boxes. There's not all this other stress in your life. And so if we can front load some of that setup work using a tool like yours, by the time that stress is building leading up to moving day, what if those funds were as easy as you know, the push of a couple buttons. Well, and actually you, you hit the nail on the head there, Kevin. That's something that we really see, you know, we've, we've, we're the leading digital earnest money solution. It was a great entry point, a great problem to solve. And this is where that expansion beyond that through the process, kind of this like logical progression, I think can really add a lot of benefit for builders in these, you know, this payment cycle throughout is that through earnest, you'd be able to, the first time it's, you know, reservation deposit or paying the earnest money, the user comes on and creates their account. We use Plaid to have them, they can log into their online bank. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of, a lot of like quote unquote digital earnest money solutions are really just either mobile check deposit or enter in your routing and account number. None of that needs to occur on earnest. And also you're already selecting a, pre, you know, all of our escrow holders are onboarded onto our network. So they're not having to share, oh, here's our account details. Here's our wiring instructions. You just select the account you're sending it to, you know, who, whatever builder you're working with, or they sent you their link. So that's all you can do. And then from there on out, every time there's a new payment, it's just saying, hey, do you want to use that same account you did before? Yes. Bingo, you're on. You're not putting another check in the mail. You're not sending another wire, et cetera. So, so yeah. throughout this, this cycle, it, you know, if you use it once every, you know, it's, it's more of this episodic thing. It's just, uh, and I know like, working with a lot more builders now, a lot of them have their home buyer or home owner portal. You can integrate it into there and just provide, again, it's not the full buy it now, add to cart solution, but it is already working with the tools they have in place to provide a more seamless yeah. experience. And, and, it, and it seems like now. me, it, it seems to me that it's, it's highly likely that y- your company will be the thing that's added on to many other systems as, you know, powered by earnest or, uh, exactly financing powered by earnest. That's not the right term, but you know what I'm saying? I like it. I might take that. (laughs) You'll take take it. And that's why I think it was so important for me to try to get you on, not just because you're launching this uh, more broadly to home builders as an audience, as a Mm -hmm. product that's now ready to begin, but also this is as much a customer experience improvement tool as a digital transaction by online tool. And that uh, in 2021 is something that a lot of builders are heavily focused on because they're saying, I, I mean, I don't really need to have to work that hard to sell homes right now, but marketers are terrified and, and are staying up late at night trying to figure out how are we going to, what can we do to make every part of this experience better? Because there's some things we can't control. It's probably going to take longer to build your home. You're probably going to pay more for it than you did, you know, two weeks ago <laughs> as prices keep increasing. Yep what can we do to make this process better and to prove the, improve the customer experience? And I, again, there, the financing, whole financing part of this, everyone I know who ever buys a home and they always say the same thing at the beginning. They're like, that mortgage thing was easy. And I go, no, no, you just got a pre-approval letter. That's all it said. <laughs> if you do these other, you didn't get a mortgage. You got a letter that said, yeah. if you do all these other things, we'll think about giving you one. Yeah. And I always just say, just prepare for that last minute rush of we need this, 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 and this. And again, if you can get one more thing off the table, why not do it? And, and oh, again, the other thing we talk a lot about 
uh, Russell, is something that overlaps that solves a problem for an internal customer and an external customer at the same time. Exactly. That's the stuff to focus on first. You know, yep. it's a it's a built-in home well, run. Kevin, you, you mentioned the, the absolutely, and you mentioned the consumer experience as well as that internal efficiency where sales and online and you know admins are all collaborating and communicating over is this did we receive this payment what are we expecting and yeah. so if we can do both that's what we're really looking to do I for I should have asked someone in preparation for this chat Russell but I I mean for my time at a builder I would imagine that a, a salesperson who's selling really well probably f uh, I mean I'm going to I'm going to be conservative 5% of their time if they're selling well is chasing down you know, the status meeting at the sales meeting, Hey, buyer on home site 23 missing this check. Okay. Yeah. I'll get, I mean, I just can't, and then I'm, I'm just extrapolating off of that one moment in the meeting, but salespeople need their time back. They this do. Is a, this is a good way to, well, to help. And them. our founder, Kevin, our founder is a real estate agent in Greenville. And that was the main thing for real estate agents as well as this low value task where instead of them focusing on what makes them great, they're driving around to pick up a check and then drive it to the listing brokerage office as opposed to being able to focus on on what they're so good at and and that's what we want to do for these you know the home builder sales community as well yeah all right that that was awesome do you have a minute for another quick fun conversation not related yeah, to I, earnest money whatsoever whatever you want to talk about so january 14th 2021 redfin released this other press release that the title is 63% of 2020 home buyers made an offer sight unseen shattering previous record. And I think it's, it's always good to let people hear uh, guests talk about something l not directly connected. Cause to give you a sense for just in this case, what kind of an awesome guy you are, <laughs> this is a number that I want to believe. I want to Wonderful. believe I, I, yeah. I love technology. I love real estate. Uh, and yet I just have a hard time accepting what, what's some initial <sighs> thoughts or impressions when you hear that According to Redfin, 63% of buyers, home buyers made an offer sight unseen. On a yeah. And, and I think the, you know, there's a couple things here that we need to just get clearer definitions on. What does sight unseen actually mean? You know? And as we're looking at the chart, you know, you pointed out, Kevin, that, that even in 2015, it shows the baseline for 2015 to be 20%, which, yeah. you know, and, and that it was 32% in November. So it's, you know, it's doubled through COVID, you know, but that still seems unbelievably high. It says they they surveyed, I think, 1,900 home buyers. Yeah. I think if you were looking at the whole market and you were including, and this was something we haven't talked about, but you know, the single family rental investor communities, large hedge funds and things, which are only, you know, it's been the fasting, fastest growing segment in the real estate market sure. for the last yeah. decade. And it is only accelerating yeah, rapidly. I think it's right the now. answer when interest rates skyrocket. I mean, oh, and on top of that, I mean, this is something for, I, I'd love to get your take sometime on, you know, how, how that's working for the home builder community today and going forward, because the existing home market, I mean, it, it, as by definition, they have what's there, you know, it, they can knock on doors and try and create more inventory. The only way to truly create more inventory is to, to build it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and builders loved it. There's, there's a lot of national builders even who got on the train of, we'll, we'll, we'll build a whole bunch just for you. Yep. But I have to imagine uh, and I can check with some sources that that has slowed as consumers who are willing to pay a much higher margin per unit constructed as a one-time close than someone saying, I'm going to, trust me, I'll, I'll take a hundred of these off your hands over the next year. I think that's probably tipped a little bit as demand has skyrocketed sure. from, from those willing to pay a higher price point, but it's absolutely a sure. big deal. 
And and I think it's probably at least for a home builder a good diversification tactic. You know, it's I grew up in a farming community. It's like selling futures. You know, yeah. like maybe it's not the best price you can get, but you know you're going to sell them. There are builders. Oh. Um, there are large national builders who have essentially standing offers with large hedge funds and VC folks to whatever yep. homes you haven't sold by the end of the year will take off your hands, especially if they're a public company, so that their books are have a nice smooth <laughs> income. Standard, yeah. Uh, so, lower so, cost. So back to the Redfin piece, I mean, if they were taking a full swath of the market and including right. those types of buyers, I mean, that would probably boost it up. Ah, uh, yeah, sure, yeah. But I have to imagine that wasn't part of the 1900. No, this is, you know, and I have some friends over at Redfin. I, I might have to get some more clarity here. So this it says is 1900 really... home buyers across 32 major markets. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, Gary, Indiana. It's not, not probably being surveyed here. And the specific question, did you mm -hmm. at any point in your home search process make an offer on a home you hadn't seen in person? Yeah. So either this tells me that um, the market has been, and, and we do know in places like Seattle, I mean, we worked with a builder there who five years ago, their average price point was probably in the 400s and now is, is close to a million or over a million. Wow. So the, the appreciation has been hot in some markets, but 63% sounds like a lot of people need help with their earnest money if, if they're doing this <laughs> sight unseen, which probably also means across larger swaths of geography, this wouldn't, would you make an offer sight unseen in a home that you could drive 10 minutes and go see? Yeah. Before it's, it became available? And you know, some of this, I have friends, I, like I said, I used to live in Austin and I have some friends who work in the real estate community there. And, you know, I see them posting things around, you know, they made an offer for a client and the house had 78 offers and it's just, yeah, it's like unfathomable. I mean, if anything, mm -hmm. my thought is, well, then maybe they should have priced it a little higher. <laughs> right. Or, I mean, I don't really understand that. But, you know, so I guess in a market like that, thankfully, when we bought in Napa, that wasn't the case. But I maybe it's just due to, I would have to imagine a factor there would be just crazy buyer demand where you really feel like you have to... I remember hearing, I remember when I was at Real Scout years ago, I heard about a brokerage in North Carolina that their market was going so hot they weren't even taking listing photos because hmm. there was no reason to. They, they didn't have to. They put up the details on the MLS and those offers started piling in. That's um, that's a whole new, that's not sight unseen. That's mystery box sales. Yeah. Right? Like, you're going to buy something. Trust me, this Google aerial photo tells it all. Make an yeah. offer now. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, if anyone could do it, it's Redfin. Yeah, I, I think they, they are a great, great business. And I, and I have to imagine this is, you know, so like you said, there was the question, made an offer on a house that hadn't seen. I mean, you know, maybe we're just not seeing that, you know, but that's a, that's a really interesting, I'm glad you pulled that stat out, Kevin. It's super, super interesting. Um, and, yeah. and it's, and it's a great learning experience for, especially the home builder community, because any of this that's happening in the existing home market, it's just going to be, you know, threefold on the, on, on the new home side, because you yeah. really know what you're getting in a lot of cases there. <laughs> I, when could, you... I could make a joke actually that on the new home side, uh, everything is kind of sight unseen because builders don't have enough content to let you see it. <laughs> there you this go. Is, this is black and white line drawing to me still counts as sight unseen or. Yeah. Or, but any opportunity there is on the existing home side right. to, to sell a house to a buyer sight unseen. I mean, that's, that's gotta be by a factor of 10 on the new home side. Absolutely. So. Yep. So people need to keep tuning into uh, to do you convert and uh, market proof marketing. Which, by the way, I need to make a shout out. Okay. You mentioned how you know Jeff Turner that you you at least identity checked me. Yes, absolutely. 
But that's not how I heard about you. Oh. Uh, we had an inbound lead, I'd say in November of a home builder. And of course I had my eyes on home builders. I was new at Ernest. I said, uh -huh. I reached out and I asked, how did you hear about us? And she said, well, do you convert was talking about contactless payments. And I Googled and Ernest came up, no SEO problems to your point earlier. <laughs> there you go. Good. And I want to talk to you. I said, oh, great. What the heck is do you convert? What is a do you convert? And, <laughs> that's right. And I, and I found you. I realized that we had a bunch of mutual connections. And so shout out to Lindsay at Mayberry Homes in East Lansing, Michigan. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 You're famous, Lindsay. So yeah, that's that's I'm I'm super thankful she did. I've been loving the content as I'm as I'm becoming an outsider insider or insider <laughs> outsider to home building. It's been a great way for me to get up to speed. So so thank you, Kevin. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, it was a pleasure. Can't wait to hear how it goes as you launch. Uh, is it is a nationwide launch coming up? Yeah. So we are currently in like a beta phase with our new Ernest Pro product. Um, we're talking to lots of home builders and title companies and stuff who want to give it a test, but. Shoot, shoot me a note if, if you're interested in learning more. I'd love to get you set up and, and yeah. get your feedback. Yeah, and we'll have you back on to hear how it's going. That'd be great, Kevin. I really appreciate it. All right, we'll see you. All right, thanks, man. And we're back. That was awesome. Let's go to this week's question of the week, which is, how many of you own or have access to a 3D-capable camera that is not Matterport? So there's lots of different companies out there. Insta360, the Ricoh Theta. And when we talked, I think it was with Jeff Turner at ImmoViewer, they were kind of the first pioneers of, you don't need that Matterport camera thing. You can use any camera you want and just pull the data in and create your own Matterport-like experience. And since then, a lot of people have exploded in this in this opportunity. I know mm -hmm. Box Brownie offers this. A whole bunch of people have this capability. And one of our favorite people in the world, Dennis O'Neill, said, hey, we're thinking of adding this functionality to Homefinity, where if you own a 3D camera of your own, you could just go ahead and add in. Because, uh, and so someone mentioned this in the answers to the question of the week, um, and we gave people a survey option. So no, we outsource all our 3D work. No, we use the Matterport camera and we own it. And then yes, we do have access to a, th a 3D capable camera. And Jake, as one example said, I've just been adding Zillow 3D tours with all my completed homes. So he's using Zillow's 3D tour functionality where you can take your, your phone and just scan it around. So you don't even need another camera. You can just use your yeah. phone, which is awesome. But he's like, yeah, but then it lives there and it's kind of a little bit, um, disjointed in terms of how I can use it in other ways. And so this was really spurred by Dennis saying, Hey, let's ask how many people have access to this type of technology or would use it because that's a functionality that they're considering. Like they're always updating Homefinity to try to keep it as the best content management system for home builders out there. And the answers that came back though, interestingly was um, the vast majority said, no, we outsource everything, which is not a bad thing. We've talked to some people who own the Matterport cameras outright, and it is much less expensive than it used to be. I think like three grand now, or mm -hmm. maybe less with a coupon. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on B&H right now. Like the kit kit for it, light, lights, tripod, 3,600, or the camera yeah. itself is 3,000. So I, in my mind, that's not that bad. Like no, it's not bad. I mean, not bad at mm -hmm. all. Like If you're one of those companies willing to hire more people to solve the problems, then... Yes. That would be great. The manpower but to do it. A lot of yeah. people. But if you have no time, then don't buy it. Do you get frustrated? Yeah, I can't. 
I can't keep the pricing updated on my website. And so I can't go out with the camera right now and take more stuff. So it yeah, does make sure. sense that a lot of people still outsource that. And then about half of the people who outsourced it said, we have our own camera, which is interesting. Builders of all different sizes too, some smaller, some larger. Yeah. And then about 65, 70% of those who said that they have their own Matterport camera said that they have one of these other cameras that can take 3D images. So I thought that was interesting. It is. And I still, I, I feel like, tell me, depending on builder size, this, to me, all this just leads to like, I feel like everyone needs an in-house person mm -hmm. that is capable of doing video, doing 3D, doing photography, like. Photo editing. Depending yeah. on how many markets you're in. Because if, if you're across like five different states, that could be really difficult. You might need two More. people or something. Yeah. Or people, but. I, I agree with you. Again, I totally understand why people outsource it. And I understand why they own their own Matterport camera too. Uh, and I believe Matterport, you can still take the raw data out and from the camera and use it in other places. It feels, I believe so. But that that's one of those things that could change at any time with a software update where they want to lock you into their, but, but again, as we're trying to create these, these systems that are end to end from the consumer experience, you don't want to be like, oh, we'd love to be able to integrate some option pricing functionality with a Matterport dynamically, but then if Matterport doesn't let you, then you're stuck. So mm -hmm. like everything, there's trade-offs. I, I think if I were a builder, I would probably buy my own and have someone, an extra yeah. person on the team who's helping that amongst other content pieces, or I would probably outsource it still too. So that was interesting. The possibilities are endless. That's why I'm like, there's so many, if you have that person, they're going to get better over time. They'll, they'll be yeah. amazing. Like, I'm like, this would be so Intern. cool. You could have an intern that is skilled in that, that, and then mm -hmm. you buy the camera, they, they use it and then they kind of grow into a position if you're not ready yeah. for the big commitment. Yep. For sure. It's a good idea. All right. This week's question of the week is about transparency. So are you using any technology as part of your process or have you implemented any, any other things, um, like, uh, pop-ups or blog posts or editing of, of, content in any way on your website to try to help set those expectations on the front end. Julie put up a great post that also got a ton of engagement in the Facebook group showing two different examples from outside our industry. One, Everlane's uh, a clothing mm -hmm. website where they showed the actual costs that went into uh, the products. Yeah. And, and then Peloton uh, website where it shows shipping. And other people showed some other really cool examples in there too. But how about you guys? How many of you out there have put in some type of more transparency around pricing, costs, timing, anything that prevents your online salespeople from being, what did uh, Mike and Jen call it? The disappointment police? Police, yeah. Yes, that was Jen's word. <laughs> like, Sounds I like a terrible job. Disappointment police. Disappointmentpolice.com. That's, that, yeah, <laughs> that does sound awful. Yeah. I'm sorry, everybody. All right. Well, thanks again to Russell for coming on. And for published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. We'll see you next week. See ya.